In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our help is in the name of the Lord. Who made heaven and If you, O Lord, kept a record of sins, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness. Therefore, you are my Since we are gathered to hear God's word and to call upon him in prayer and praise, and receive the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ in the fellowship of this altar, let us first consider our unworthiness and confess before God and one another that we have sinned in thought, in word, and deed, and that we cannot free ourselves from our sinful condition. Together as his people, let us take refuge in the infinite mercy of God, our Heavenly Father, seeking his grace for the sake of Christ and saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Almighty God, have mercy upon us, forgive us our sins, and lead us to everlasting life. Amen. Almighty God, in his mercy, has given his only Son to die for you, and for his sake grants you forgiveness for all of your sins. As a cold and ordained servant of the word, I therefore forgive you all of your sins in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The one who endures to the end will be saved.
O Lord, by your bountiful goodness, release us from the bonds of our sins, which we have brought upon ourselves, that we may stand firm until the day of our Lord Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. The Old Testament reading appointed for this, the 24th Sunday after Pentecost, also the second last Sunday of the church year, is from the prophet Daniel, the 12th chapter. At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince who has charge of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time... Your people shall be delivered, everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. The epistle reading from the letter to the Hebrews, the 10th chapter. Every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. The Holy Spirit also bears witness to us, for after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. Therefore, brothers, Since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We stand in respect of Christ, of whom the Holy Gospel is read. 
The Holy Gospel according to St. Mark, the 13th chapter. As Jesus came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. And Jesus said to him, Do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And as he sat on the Mount of Olives, opposite the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when all of these things are about to be accomplished? And Jesus began to say to them, See that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and they will lead many astray. And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. These are but the beginning of birth pains. But be on your guard, for they will deliver you over to councils, and you will be beaten in synagogues, and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them. And the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. And when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say, but say whatever is given you at that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. And brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. This is the gospel of our Lord. Praise to you, o Christ. We now confess together our holy Christian faith in the words of the Nicene Creed. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ the only begotten Son of God, begotten of His Father before all the worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man, and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried, and the third day he rose again, according to the Scriptures, and ascended into heaven, and sits at the right hand of the Father. And he will come again with glory to judge both the living and the dead, whose kingdom will have no end. And I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. And I believe in one holy Christian and apostolic church. I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen.
Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Our text from the Gospel for the day, uh, the first two verses, these words, As Jesus came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. Do you see all of these great buildings? Jesus replied, Not one stone here will be left upon another. Every one of them will be thrown down. This is our text, dear friends in Christ. What massive stones, what magnificent buildings. Perhaps you've said something similar to that after, for example, climbing the 333 steps of the 300-foot tower of the Washington Cathedral or into the National Cathedral in Washington, D.C., perhaps that's when you said it, or it might have been as you were standing speechless in St. Peter's Basilica looking up at the dome of Michelangelo 400 feet above you, or it might have been as you were standing in Red Square looking off at the magnificent St. Basil's Cathedral there, or perhaps it was the famous Notre Dame de Paris, or maybe Westminster Abbey in London, Or it might even have been as you went to Knob Hill and saw Grace Cathedral. Wherever it was, whenever it was, sometime, somewhere, the magnitude of something has moved you to say in your own way what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. And if that's happened to you, you can well imagine how it must have been for the disciples that said those very words in our text for today when they saw the great temple of Jerusalem. After all, these were men who very probably built their own homes with their own hands, going out into the fields nearby or into the hillsides nearby and picking up small stones themselves and bringing them and piling them on top of one another and then filling them in between with mud, crafting their own hopes with mud plaster, whitewashing the outside for a finished effect, but that's how they built their homes. And to them, these stones were large, but can you imagine them standing then, seeing this massive structure that must have dwarfed the largest buildings of their little villages? Don't for a minute underestimate the grandeur of the temple in Jerusalem. It was in its day one of the greatest structures that had ever been built by man. Athens had its Parthenon dating back to about 450 BC. That might have been great, but it was nothing compared to the Temple of Jerusalem, which was more than twice as old as that. In fact, even before the Parthenon was constructed, the Temple in Jerusalem had already been built, destroyed, and rebuilt a second time. That's how old, how ancient the temple in Jerusalem was. Rome had its pantheon, a temple for its gods, but neither the pantheon of Rome nor the Parthenon of Athens were at all as magnificent or as ancient as the temple in Jerusalem. And that's what the disciples in our text for today are looking at. Built by Solomon nearly a thousand years before the birth of Jesus, it was destroyed in about 586 BC by a king named Nebuchadnezzar who was a Babylonian king and then the Babylonians Iraq of today were conquered by the Persians Iran of today interesting 
conflict that goes back a long time. The Persians allowed the Jews to return to Jerusalem there to rebuild their temple, which they did, a task that was completed in 515 BC. But you know, as grateful as the Jews were to be able to rebuild the temple after it had been destroyed by the Babylonians, as grateful as they were to be able to rebuild it, you know, it, it, it didn't compare in the least way to the first temple that had been built by Solomon. Didn't have the grandeur, the magnificence of the first temple. And so in 19 BC or 20 BC, just before the birth of our Lord, Herod the Great, the same Herod who would slaughter the infant boys of Bethlehem in his paranoid attempt to destroy Jesus, he decides he's going to rebuild the temple of Jerusalem to its former glory, to be like it was back in the days of King Solomon, to restore the temple to its former glory. No cost would be too great for him to do that. 10,000 skilled workers are hired, 1,000 priests are taken from their daily duties and they're trained to be stonemasons because only stonemasons could do the work of building the temple and the holy parts of the temple. And so the priests had to be trained as stone workers and stonemasons in order to do this. 1,000 priests, 1,000 wagons were hired to carry these massive stones from quarries that were nearby. Some stones, according to records dating back to the time, measuring 40 feet by 14 feet by 20 feet, weighing 50 tons or more. Stones that massive, that huge, according to the ancient records. All a part of this massive structure, which according to Jews arguing with Jesus in the Gospel of St. John, remember they, they said it took us 46 years to build this temple. And to that, think also of what the famous Jewish historian Josephus says, that it wasn't until 63 AD that the temple courts were completed. So what do you have? You, 19 BC to 63 AD, and you've got a period of 80 plus years that it really took for this grand and this, this sacred structure of antiquity to be built. It took a whole lifetime to build it. Any wonder at all that these awestruck disciples would see it and say what massive stones, what, what magnificent buildings. And how surprised then as they beheld these seemingly stable structures. How surprised they must have been to hear Jesus say, see all of these great buildings, all of these structures that so impress you, not one stone of them will be left upon another. Every one of them will come down. And come down they did. The temple walls were brought down in their fullness in 70 AD. The Roman army, led by the future emperor, who at that time was a general named Titus, besieged the city of Jerusalem, destroying it to such an extent that Josephus, the historian who had witnessed it all, and then wrote about it a little later, wrote these words and said, Now as soon as the army had no more people to slay or to plunder, Caesar, Titus, gave orders that they should now demolish the entire city and the temple 
but should leave some towers standing and so much of the wall which enclosed the city on the west side, western wall. This wall was spared, but for all the rest of the wall, there was left nothing to make those that came near the city even believe that it had ever been inhabited. This was the end to which Jerusalem came, a city otherwise of great magnificence and of mighty fame among all of mankind." Unquote. Josephus, a contemporary, a witness who saw it all happen. Because of his leadership in this battle, General Titus was offered the Roman wreath of victory, but you know what he did? He refused the wreath. He said, quote, there's no merit in vanquishing a people who have been forsaken by their own God, unquote. Wrong, Emperor Titus. God had not at all forsaken his people. God had come to his people at that very time in the most intimate and in the most personal way. He had come among them as one of them themselves. He'd come among them in flesh and in blood. But they had rejected him. The people had forsaken their God. It wasn't the other way around that God had forsaken them. He had come in the most intimate way that he could and they forsook him. They, Titus, delivered him over to your Pontius Pilate to crucify. A people once so blessed by God, holding the very treasuries of God itself, namely the, the scriptures of old and all the prophets prophesied, a people called by him to see with their own eyes and to hear with their own ears the very awesome and the miraculous ways by which he would make himself known to deliver them be it the burning bush at Mount Horeb, or in the fire and the smoke and the tablets of stone at Mount Sinai, or the pillar of cloud that led them during the day, or the pillar of fire that went before them in their wilderness wanderings at night, or in the, the Shekinah cloud, the great cloud that came in its holiness and settled down over the tabernacle it was moving from place to place throughout the wilderness or then later on when the temple was built this the Shekinah this great cloud would settle the cloud of God's presence settling right over the temple itself and in the temple in order to remind the people that indeed God was there but despite all of this the people forgot and the people forsook God they forgot that the temple and all of the sacrificing of animals that was being done by the priests in it was nothing more than a foreshadowing of the unique and the ultimate divine human sacrifice that was going to be made of that divine human priest who would come, the Messiah, who would come in the flesh, who would make himself the sacrifice for their sins, who would replace the temple as the ultimate and eternal dwelling of God with man. It wasn't in the temple. It was in the Christ, who the temple merely represented for a time. The man-made temple of Jerusalem, man-made temple of Jerusalem, standing there in all of its magnificence, and the man-made sacrificing being done within its walls, had all come to overshadow everything it was only meant to pre-shadow. The work of man, be it the temple or the sacrifices being made in it, the work of man 
had become more important to the people than the work of God, who was embodied in the flesh and the blood of Jesus Christ so that he could be sacrificed outside of the temple walls for the sins of all the world. Isn't that what St. Paul says? God was in him. God was in Christ, reconciling the whole world unto himself. And was it that the writer of Hebrews says about the, the work of the temple priests and what they did in pre-shadowing and prefiguring this Christ compared to the ultimate priest himself who would come, listen again to what's said in the epistle lesson. For today every priest, it says, stands daily at his service offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, but they can never take away sin. But when Christ had offered for one time a single sacrifice for sins, he then sat down at the right hand of God, waiting for that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet, for by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being made holy. You see, when it comes to comparing the, the works of man, even those as humanly grand and glorious as the temple of Jerusalem and all that happened in it to the works of God in the flesh, in our Lord Jesus Christ, there simply is no comparison to be made. None to be made. The works of man have no lasting significance. None. No matter if they were works done back then or works that are done by man today, they have no lasting significance. But the works of God in the flesh do. Indeed, the works of God in the flesh have an eternal significance, a lasting magnificence. And on a much smaller scale, isn't that the way it is with all of us too? The works of man, be it the individual things that we do in our day-to-day -day lives, in our homes, school, jobs, retirement, whatever it might be, or the things we acquire, and the things we attempt to maintain, our houses and cars, our investments and our health, they all so easily and sinfully overshadow the work of God that's taking place daily in our lives, even as does the often disturbing and disconcerting things that the government does or doesn't do, things which it seems have such a lasting significance to all of us, the things that we do, the government does, man does, sinners that we are, allowing the works of man individually, corporately, or governmentally to overshadow the significance and the lasting magnificence of the work of God in our lives. Work that is so often done in such simple and quiet and still ways through the divinely disguised realities which can only be recognized by the faith of the faithful. For who but the faithful see God working through simple water, like in baptism? Who but the faithful can see God working through his very body and blood in bread and in wine that sit upon an altar? Who but the faithful see those things? Who but the faithful hear God speaking and saying your sins are forgiven you in the absolution? God working in each of these very open but underestimated ways so that we may, as the epistle lesson today says, hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. Why? 
because he who has promised is faithful. Though the grandest works of man ultimately fail you, the works of God will not. Any wonder that Jesus is not about to let his disciples very long look at those buildings in Jerusalem and think their hope was what was taking place with them. Any wonder that he wouldn't allow them long to stand there agape at the magnificence of the temple. It's not going to last, he says, in 40 years it's going to be a pile of rubble. And that's the way it is with the works of man. No matter how grand they may seem for a while, they all but add to the dust heap of history, ultimately. And so it is Jesus told Peter and James and John and Andrew, who came to him and privately asked him afterward when all these things were going to happen, when the works of man are going to continue to appear. Jesus told them a time on the world stage, and then they're going to disappear from it. Yes, he said, nations are going to rise against nations, kingdoms against kingdom, he says. Men will mourn the fading of one, and then glory in the rising of another. And God will continue patiently but faithfully to throw in his warnings periodically that remind us that man-made works do perish at last. And so Jesus says there will be earthquakes, and here are the reminders in various places. And there will be famines. But be not alarmed. The end is not yet. These, he says, are but the beginning of birth pangs. Speaking of birth pangs, I hadn't planned to be with you this morning because Barb and I were planning to be in Elgin, Illinois to celebrate the birth and the rebirth of our new little granddaughter who was due a week ago today, who would have been baptized this morning. Well, little Ellie, as she's been called, was, was taking her time. And so here I am in this Lutheran pulpit, and there her father is in his Lutheran pulpit a couple thousand miles away, both of us thinking throughout the week that perhaps the words of our Lord in today's gospel, these are the beginning of birth pangs, might get something started. <laughs> well, they did. And little Ellie was born at about midnight on Friday. And so we'll be going to see her this coming week and celebrating her birth and rebirth with her. Whatever the words, these are the beginning of birth pangs, poignantly remind us of all that God's agenda is the one ultimately that's going to take place, whether it's in our lives individually as a little baby, or as adults, or as the aged. For all of us corporately in the church, God's agenda is the one that's going to take place. Indeed, for all the world, God's agenda is the one that has been established, and it is the one that will be accomplished in his good time. It's not important, therefore, that we know all the details about what's coming down the road for us or for the world, be it poverty or wealth or sickness or health or wars and rumors of wars and the various degrees of persecutions which will come and they will wear us down, but they will not wear us out as confessors of Christ in each generation. Simply put and confidently put, we don't need to know exactly what's coming or when it's coming. Why not? Because we know who is coming. And when all is said and done, that's all that really matters. Who is coming?
Jesus Christ is coming. Coming right now in his word and his sacraments as you receive them to prepare us for that day when he visibly comes again to bring us to that dimension of reality which does indeed have an everlasting magnificence. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.
confidence to enter the holy place with our requests by the blood of Jesus Christ. We now pray in the presence of God for the whole church of God in Christ Jesus, for all people according to their need. We pray. Good and gracious God, who in kindness sent your only begotten Son, Christ Jesus, to offer himself a single sacrifice for all sins of all time, receive our thanks, and by your word and sacrament enable us to hold fast to the confession of our heavenly hope without wavering, knowing that he who reconciled us to you and who has promised to return to rescue is faithful. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. By your people, encourage your people who have become disaffected or ambivalent to you into the treasure that here is received, that they may not neglect the gathering together of your people in the divine service, but find comfort in the community of your church, those who are all sinners, but yet forgiven eternally. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Lord of the years, let us not be led astray in these last days, but enable us to recognize the earthquakes and famines, the wars and rumors of them, as reminders that you have not forgotten us, but will come for us when the time is full. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Lord of the nations, while earthquakes and famines, wars and threats of them do persist, grant to us good and wise government officials who will execute their tasks in accord with the constitutions of our nation and state, that we might be protected from threats without and threats within our borders, by leaders that you'd raise up, curb the violence that affects and infects our communities, and enable your people to live in harmony with our fellow man. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Lord God, who gives life, and according to your gracious will and wisdom, who takes life, we ask that you would comfort those who mourn, that they might be revived by your promises, knowing that those faithful departed whose bodies now sleep in the dust shall rise from the dust to everlasting life and shine forever like the brightness of the stars in the sky. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Lord, of the days of our life, enable those who are discouraged or depressed, those who are physically ill or infirmed, enable those who suffer chronic ailments and those who suffer at the hand of brother or father or child to hold fast to the confession of faith amid their troubles Give them patience to cope with the conditions that you've permitted for them, knowing that you have overcome this world and that by faith in you they have too. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. God of every good, receive our thanks with Jerry and Georgie Delaney for the 48 years of marriage with which you've blessed them. Continue to be present in their home, in the rock upon which their home stands. Help us all in every season of life to recognize and Give thanks for the good that you daily and hourly provide. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Heavenly Father, your Son, our High Priest, Jesus Christ, entered into the heavenly, most holy place with his, his atoning blood once for all people of all times, never more to offer himself or be offered as a sacrifice to you, but until the end of time to offer himself in his body and blood as a gift to his people. We pray for faith to receive the blessed sacramental supper of Jesus, trusting in the actual presence of Christ's flesh and blood, in and under the bread and wine, to forgive us and strengthen us, that faith and love in us may abound.
Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Lord God, Heavenly Father, graciously receive our prayers, deliver and preserve us unto the end. For to you alone be all glory, honor and worship, Father, Son and Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. If it is right to give him thanks and praise. It is truly good, right, and salutary that we should at all times and in all places give thanks to you, O Lord, Holy Father, almighty and everlasting God, for the countless blessings that you so freely bestow on us in all creation. Above all, we give thanks for your boundless love shown to us when you sent your only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, into our flesh and laid on him our sin, giving him into death that we might not die eternally, because he is now risen from the dead and lives and reigns to all eternity. All who believe in him will overcome sin and death and will rise again to new life. Therefore, with angels and archangels and with all the company of heaven, we laud and magnify your glorious name, evermore praising you and saying, Holy, 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 Lord, God of Sabbath, King of all creation, for you have had mercy on us and given your only begotten Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. In your righteous judgment, you condemned the sin of Adam and Eve, who ate of the forbidden fruit, and you justly barred them and all their children from the tree of life. Yet in your great mercy, you promised salvation by a second Adam, your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord who made his cross a life-giving tree for all who trust in him. We give you thanks for the redemption you have prepared for us through Jesus Christ. Grant us your Holy Spirit, that we may faithfully eat and drink of the fruits of his cross and receive the blessings of forgiveness, life, and salvation that have come to us in his body and blood. Hear us as we pray in his name and as he has taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. To temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Our Lord Jesus Christ, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is given for you, this do in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you. 
This cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. The peace of the Lord be with you always. Amen.
We give thanks to you, Almighty God, that you have refreshed us through this salutary gift. And we implore you that of your mercy you would strengthen us through the same in faith toward you and in fervent love toward one another. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Let us bless the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Amen.